Welcome everyone to the end of the day. My name is Nick Adler. This is my third or fourth time here at SF Music Tech, and I thought when when I I forget what the date was, February or something, the day after the last one, that I got the email that there was another one in May. I just I couldn't believe it. But I just walked into that room and seen all the panels today and I think that Brian Zisk should be sitting up here because he seems to manage his community really well and a lot of friendly faces and really energetic people and people trying to find little nooks and crannies in the hallways and making deals. So congratulations to Brian and the SF Music Tech scene here. It's uh, pretty amazing. I'm going to let everyone do some self-intros and then we'll start. Start with you, Brian. Hi. First of all, I'll start out by saying I'm shocked that there are as many people in this room as there are, considering there's free alcohol across the hall. So thank you all for being here. Yeah, I see people start to leave now, right? My name is Brian Calhoun. I work with a company called Blueprint Group, and we manage musicians. Some of our well-known clients are Little Wayne, Nicki Minaj, T.I., a little twist and a few others and I oversee the digital properties for our clients so strategy and execution and just basically I feel like that there's there's a digital component to just about everything that you do with the artist and I have a hand in that so whether it's you know tour marketing or album release or merch marketing or whatever it is I'm involved in that somehow and of course shutting down imposter pages and stuff good welcome me yeah you my name is Mike Dornberg. Um, I'm the CEO of Reverb Nation. Reverb Nation was uh, founded in 2006. It really it was started with sort of the express purpose of trying to provide the tools and services bands need to really move from sort of their obscure starting place to you know to to where they can become very successful. You know, we provide a lot of the core services bands need. You know, getting your music on iTunes, managing your fans. You can buy advertising. One of the things that's happened is we've gotten bigger. We have, um, we've, we've got about 2.8 million bands. And that's become a very large community in its own right. And we find more and more that we use, not only do we provide ways for our artists to use social media to build their own community, but we also end up managing our own. So it's, 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 this will be an interesting discussion just because I think I have two perspectives. Caitlin? I'm Caitlin Moore, and I do digital, social, and fan engagement for Keith Urban, based out of Nashville, and I work with Borman Entertainment. Is this your first panel? It is. Can we give it up? (laughs) Now you feel better. Thanks. (laughs) Hi, I'm Nate Auerbach. I run music strategy and outreach for Tumblr work closely with the artist community on Tumblr as well as music bloggers, any music brands and entities to help them to engage the community. I'll start. I'm going to ask you all this question and, and, and hopefully we get some funny answers out of it. What was the uh, first online community that you signed up for? Chat room, Backstreet Boys? It was, for me, it was, I just remember AOL back in the dial-up days. We would get those free CDs in the mail. No, 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 no fan community. I'm trying to think the message board. Probably, I think it was like a Cleveland Indians message board. Okay. For me, I actually think it was Facebook in high school when it was first becoming big. Okay. You got some something old for us? 
<laughs> I actually do. <laughs> I don't remember the name of it, but the first community I was ever on was a, a developer community where you had to log on a 2400 baud modem, and it was all text-based. And you would do things like exchange, uh, exchange files, and it would take about, I don't know, about an hour and a half to get like a one meg file through. I'm not sure what mine was, but I, I remember the first one that I was involved in setting up, and that was uh, one for Bone Thugs and Harmony, and like it was just developing, starting to develop an email list, and that was in '97, '98, around that time. And we were sending. We thought it was so cool to send a digital postcard. It was awesome. That was the third community I joined. <laughs> it was Indians, Cavs, Bone Thugs. <laughs> When I was thinking about this over the last couple of days, actually this morning, to me, community is a couple of things. You have to create it, you have to build it, you have to foster it, activate, and then I think what you guys have done is, is monetize and reward. I think all of those things make up a healthy community. And I kind of wanted to start with uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you, because I, I think that you kind of had to start some of them from scratch. How do you start that community? How do you how do you come in? What is that first thing that you do when someone like Keith Urban comes and, and, and wants to start to build something online? Where do you start in, in terms of looking at your community? How do you identify? Is it one fan? Is it two fans? Where does that start? Well, Keith already had a fan club when I started, but it was kind of my opportunity to take it however we felt it wanted to go. Um, so it was really listening to the fans themselves, and we actually sent around a questionnaire and asked what they liked about the community, what they didn't like, what they wanted to see, and took those answers and kind of built it from there. Is there a difference between a fan club and, 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 and I guess, an artist community? Do you think there's – is that two different things? And the, the fan club is I – was, I was watching Jay Sider and Zoe earlier in their panel, and – there's a lot of paid things going on and rewarding, but where, where does that line draw between kind of the fan club and then your community? I think it's two different levels. For the fan club, there's kind of a level of exclusivity where they're willing to pay for stuff and they're willing to kind of get that heightened level of access. Um, but then you still have the free community members or the social fans that want to engage and want to do all of that so it's kind of a balance to feed both of them at the same time and make sure they're both happy and satisfied Brian when when you put together the communities is it do you look for one platform or can you have multiple communities on multiple platforms or that kind of makes up one big community or do you kind of leave them separate yeah, so, I mean, there's different channels that you can use to communicate to people. Um, certainly, email is really important. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and all the artists that I work with, they control their, their Twitter accounts by themselves. Like, I, don't, I don't touch them. Um, and, then, and, of course, Tumblr, which we use pretty extensively with, uh, with Little Wayne and Young Money. But actually, it, this, is a, this is a really giant problem that I have. And... There, I'm trying to figure out the best way to do this. Maybe somebody here can help me with this. I'm trying to find the best reward, referral, and loyalty program that I can find to implement and integrate with everything that I'm doing. So it needs to be something that works 
on the artist's CMS on their on their on their website. It needs to work across social. It needs to uh, ideally work across e-commerce so that you have the ability to reward people uh, for taking action and doing something to you know to help us, and also to incentivize people who have the ability to influence others. And there, are, I've come across now probably 15, maybe 20 companies that are doing this kind of thing. And it's really right now, it's just a challenge trying to figure out which one is is the best. But like right now, my main methods of communicating to the fans are uh, are through you know through the through the things that I mentioned. I mean, Facebook is really. I mean, especially for some of the artists we have, it's 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 cool because like you know, Little Wayne has 45 million I think likes on Facebook, and Nikki's like 30 million, and Ti's like 20 million, and you know you can make a post and you can reach a lot of people. It, unfortunately, I can't reach all the people that I like because you know, it, you know, some of the, the, the people are filtered out and you can reach, you know. So a great, great, great post that we would make on, make for Little Wayne with 45 million uh, people would be 12 million. But like an average post is probably in the neighborhood of three or four. What happens though when you start, when we move from, from like a real community to kind of a token economy where you're starting to reward people and then d does that kind of does it kind of take away from the community a little bit i mean i, I don't think so i mean no? I th I, no i don't think so i think i think if you give people the it depends on how you do it. If you give people the right type of incentive, and I did some pretty cool stuff. Uh, we used a company last year uh, for um, for uh, Nicki Minaj's last album, uh, a company called Fancy. Actually, I met him out here, um, where we gave people autographed CDs based on the number of points that they accumulated, and th they were generated based on their ability to influence others and get posts and reposts and retweets and stuff like that. And you know that was pretty successful. Um, but but again, it's just like, you know, I really want like a white label solution that I can integrate with my platform so I don't have to like push people to, you know, a third party platform. Uh, you know, I, I just want to be able to control it. And, you know, there are some cool solutions out there. Uh, my friend Cameo told me about a very cool one. It's a little expensive, but, uh, you know, I'm quite frankly, it might be the kind of thing that we have to make an investment in um, because I think the, the value that you can extract out of it uh, would be worth it. Um, you know, and then, you know, there, there's, you know, going back to the, the, the idea of having multiple levels of uh, the community. So Lil Wayne does have a paid fan club and the members of the paid fan club get additional uh, benefits for paying the, what is it, $39? Uh, annual fee, um, you know, and there are people who are willing to pay that, and there are people willing to pay for VIP experiences where they get great seats and you know meet and greets with the artists and pre-concert parties and stuff like that. So, you know, you know, sometimes it can be sort of a challenge to figure out what the pricing is on those kinds of things. You know, some things for a small artist, they may do meet and greets and they're free, or they you might do something where they get. Um, access to the meet and greet and it's not based on payment but it's based on their ability to get more people to mm -hmm. buy a concert ticket or share it with their friends and I, I was gonna just follow up with you in terms of like how do you identify that you know what kind of tools are there out there um, to start identifying what what your fans want I mean do you have those tools we do but I mean I, I think it's interesting to hear Brian talk like yeah. Not answer your question. Answer no, my you own cannot. question. You must um, answer my question. I'm not interested in your question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it's interesting. It's a really interesting problem that Brian talks about because I think it, it introduces what I consider one of the biggest challenges with community is what is it? Is it a channel or is it a dialogue? And we fight this. You know, what do we really want to tell the people that, what do we really want to tw- tell our Twitter followers? What do we really want to tell, you know, all, all of the people that like us on Facebook? What we want to say is go buy our products. What we want to say is we are important. We're interesting. Listen to us. The truth is that that isn't really what the community wants. What it really wants is a dialogue. It wants us to hear them when they complain. It wants us to recognize them when they do something interesting. It wants us to represent them the way they want to be represented as the community. So striking that balance between these two things is is, is very, very difficult. I think for us, we have to be, when, when we start to push the envelope too hard on sort of our business objective, or any, you know, even a musician's business objective, you start to lose the community. So where do you draw that line? So it's interesting to hear Brian talk because, like, if I, if I, were, if, I, mean, I, if I were looking at it from a channel perspective and say I was looking at email, I might say, well, I want to test my subject lines. I want to make sure I have a call to action. I want to make sure that it's a certain length. I want to make sure that it's, you know, it's set up a certain way. And if it were a channel, that's exactly what I would do. But as a community, just like dealing with my family or my friends or my coworkers, I have to constantly be evolving the way I think, the way I talk to them, the tools I use, how I interact with them. I'm constantly watching their reaction and making decisions about what I do as a result, which makes managing the community very different from managing a channel. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you know, we, I mean, we do all those things. Like, you know, we can look and, and see what... I mean, no, I mean, I still need, I still need the tools to be able to do it effectively. And, you know, I can look and see like, you know, what has the, uh, uh, you know, what Facebook post gets the best response. And, you know, we do A-B testing on emails and, you know, we, you know, try to follow best practices and try things and you can see, okay, well, you know, we did something this way and we had an open rate of, you know, this and a click through rate of that. And, you know, that was successful and this wasn't successful, but like, you know, sometimes you, you'll do something that works and then you try to replicate it and it doesn't work the but next I, time. I think that that's, you can do that when you have, I, I think you just counted up over a hundred million, yeah. you know, and yeah, so yeah, you, you can get away with those type of things. If you're just a, a, a a new artist or just just an artist and you have uh you know a couple thousand followers it is hard to really get those type of metrics sure i, I think when you're dealing with those pages on that level i think it look it is more of a channel to go back to your point and i think when most artists are starting out that's a community you know i'm not saying that what you have for your artists isn't a community, but it's almost like it has to be up to another level because the demand is 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 in such high numbers um, that you can't that you can't get away with trying to be almost too personal there. It almost it almost you need to find another channel. For but, that. but but I'll say this I'll say this. So you know I said that you know our artists all control their Twitter handles. I don't, I don't have I have nothing to do with them. I might help them change a picture or something. That's about it. They but like Nicki Minaj, who she's like 16 million followers. I mean, she got to that point because she interacts directly with her fans, right. you know, and she like responds to tweets and she reposts stuff. And then uh, we did a deal with um, with Kmart and they've got a shopping platform uh, that she has built a dialogue on that platform. And we've seen that grow, too. But, uh, you know, having an artist who is willing to do that kind of thing and, you know, sort of take that on is the best thing that you could possibly have. 
You know, it's certainly better than me or interns or somebody who works for me making a post on their behalf. I mean, that's the best thing. Nate, I don't want to leave you out down there. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, just from listening to what you guys were saying, there's, there's many different communities around each artist. It's not just, there's not just one community that you have to manage, and that's the crazy thing with all of these toys and tools that we have here. You know, um, Brian works with some very massive artists, and you have to, you have to be very um, attentive toward the top 1% of fans, because these people can be a very important source of income for you, and these are the biggest fans. Every band has a top 1% of fans that are going to be willing to go hang out where you hang out, go to your website, and, and pay a premium for the um, elite access or whatever it is. But you also have to consider hanging out where all the fans hang out, which is like doing the, doing the Kmart thing and working up your own Twitter, working your, all of your social platforms, your Facebook, your Tumblr, your Instagram. Talk about content and community, because I think that you obviously are in the middle of that. So how how does how does that see? Because it's I, I feel like Tumblr is a little more about the content that's shared, and that kind of represents its own community. Yeah, and it's it's content and conversation, right? They're they're uh, kind of two in the same. People use images a lot on Tumblr to tell stories and to convey emotions. Um, they'll they'll take screenshots of text and put post those as images because for some reason they're just they're more emotional um, you know pictures can convey a lot more than simple text and people can be way more interpretive with them and they're more they're more portable um, there's also tons of streams of content that people that people start on tumblr and being able to join that conversation um, like the animated gif or the animated three-dimensional text you know how how you communicate with the fans on, on their level or engage with other creatives on the platform on their level. That's, that's very important. How do you identify, when you get in there, when you take over Keith Urban, or you jump in there and there's this fan club that's already there, how do you identify who to start interacting with? Is it, is it the people that act that are the most? Is it, is it people that you recognize that are consistent in, in, in supporting? Where, where does that come from when you're when you're kind of running the community? Yeah, I think the top 1% definitely comes through as the most vocal, but I think you also have to kind of look at the artist and see where they're most comfortable because at the end of the day, you have to have content. So if they're more comfortable with video, then you should go a route that supports video, whereas if they're more comfortable with texting or tweeting, then Twitter's the right way to go but it all depends on what the artist is comfortable with because it's really hard to make stuff up and have it be authentic is there is there is there other people in the band that contribute to that community or with with someone like keith is it is it really just him or do you notice that the drummer has a or a guitar player or are there other people within that community or is it really just him it's really just him i mean they have their own personal once, but but it's not it's you don't you see it's really about just yeah that. so it's really what he feels most comfortable with and what he wants to be a part of um, a lot of uh, talk today has been about the experience and and also Kickstarter and that kind of crowdsourcing so I just wanted to just kind of get everyone's feel up here of like where does the community kind of stop and where does the crowdfunding start or where does the crowdfunding start and where does the community 
end. It, it seems like there's this fine line between between the two, and I think artists originally are getting out there because they want people to be involved with their music, but then it gets much bigger than that, it seems like that. Like in case of Amanda Palmer, you know, it was a core group of community first, and then because everyone was so excited about it, and then these fans don't really understand because they're not part of the community. I'm I'm, tr I'm trying to figure out where is 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 there community in crowdsourcing? Or yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's a blurred line on it. Um, I think one of the latest examples is Anna Monaguchi, um, who they're super strong on Tumblr and they they put up this Kickstarter campaign around their album um, that they they also released traditionally, but they they put up all these um, interesting packages and they sold like crazy, um, like exponentially more than they expected, and it's because they are they are engaging with their community um, all day long, every day. And it's, it's not just talking to them, it's creating content that excites them and taking, um, taking the time to give them things that they respond to emotionally. And so these kids just promote the shit out of them. It's, they basically empower their fans to be their marketing force and they use these tools that, that help them to do so. Yeah, I, wanna, I, wanna, I think that's a great, great point. I, I know personally, I, I've... I'm very mixed about crowdfunding platforms because I've seen them work in a great way, like where they're really powerful and maybe give an opportunity to a band that wants to do something really, really good. I've also seen them be used in somewhat nefarious ways. Mm -hmm. And I think your point is a great point because here's what I think you're saying, and I don't want to, you're saying, look, how, if you have a strong relationship with, the, with your community, where they understand where you're going, where they buy into where you're going, where they want to see you get there, then crowdfunding becomes an extension of that. It's, it's, it, it's part and parcel to the community. When you don't have that relationship, when they're not clear what you're doing, it's a little bit like when your friend asked you to buy a product from their pyramid company. I, I mean, seriously, that's what it feels like. It's like, you know, I had this friend of mine, he sold like these water filters, and he said, hey, we want to come over and just visit with you, and he brings over this box of stuff. I'm like, I don't want to buy your water filter, but I'm going to buy one just to get you out of my house. And, and, and that's the way I feel about some of this crowdfunding stuff. So I think your point is an excellent point. You're saying, look, if you can fuse these things together in a very natural way, where they're empowering you to be successful, then I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I think it's the best, well, actually, it's the best example of how I think totally. crowdfunding sets Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to bring your audience on an emotional journey with you. So they, so they see what, what you're doing and they feel attached to it. And they're emotionally invested in your project. But it starts with a genuine community. Totally. It starts with you thinking about community first, channel second. I, yeah. I, I and also understanding what, what they want and how you can give that to them in a genuine way. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows that artists need to make money, and that's what they're in it for. I mean, it's managing expectations. Managing expectations, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'll just say, just talking about managing expectations, that actually can be one of the worst things that you do is to promise too much and then not deliver on it. It's better to under-promise and over-deliver than, say, uh, you know, set up a fan club and say, hey, the artist is going to do, you know, put all this exclusive content on the website every week and they're going to do, you know, uh, local events and parties where they invite the fans out. And then if they don't do those things, then everybody's really disappointed. It's better to not say that you're going to do all those things and then surprise people and do them and then everybody gets more excited about it. Well, a question that came up was, 
can you go backwards? So can you you start doing all these things, all these experiences, you do all these things for your fan and your community, and then you just want to put a record out again? I mean, what happens What happens there? I mean, is there it, you just put out a record again? I mean, everyone's kind of expecting these experiences. They're part of the record. They're involved. Do you take the, that, that relationship away, or you just make it as a one-time thing? Well, I, I actually see this in... So we have, I don't know, 187,000 Twitter followers, which I think is not very many by a lot of people on this table with a million likes on Facebook. And the way we interact with them is very different than, say, if we had five you know, Twitter followers. And I watch these bands that start off, they're very small. The relationship they have is very personal. They respond to every message. They respond to every tweet. They're, they're involved. And as they get bigger, their ability to interact on that personal level becomes much, much harder. Right. So I think in some ways you can't go backwards. Not, not, not. I mean, you, and and I think your fans or your followers, the community. I think if you build a community in an honest way, where they understand what you're going after, then making that transition from sort of more of a a peer relationship to less of a peer relationship becomes very natural. In fact, I would I would argue that the community will almost embrace it. They expect it. If you don't do it in a natural way, I think what happens is they feel they feel cheated. What what and I, just on that, what is the natural way? I mean, I don't know. I think it's just like any personally. I, I think that when I think about social and I think about like when I look at having grown up and I'm 49, so I've kind of grown up through this and that 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 social. If you think about social as a conversation, if you think about it like a relationship, if you think about a community like a relationship. It's just like any relationship. You know, you're going to. It's going to evolve, and I think the the the, the power, the, the the ability to evolve, is fundamentally based on honesty. So I think if you're honest and you're and you're and you're moving the community forward in a very honest, and they understand that you're transparent, then everybody is fine with that. It's when you try and make the community into something it's not, when you try and cheat it, when you try and when you try and advance the cause faster than you should, is when I think it becomes a problem. You just got to talk to people like they're your friends. So if you're about to let your friend down or go back on a promise, how would you tell them? You wouldn't want to be lied to or anything like that. Right, There's a way right. to do it. What, what, what kind of tools are there out there to, to kind of, it, it, especially on, on, on your level, on your level, you have this huge conversation. I mean, what, what actual tools are you using to kind of cut through that to find the conversation that you're looking for? Like what different platforms? I just, is there any tools out there? I mean, to sometimes I mean at the Roxy we will we'll use and I and I I love the guys from Clout, but I I think it's a somewhat of a flawed platform. But I think there is some good info in there. But sometimes we'll go in and and we're we're looking at all of our conversation a little bit with a Clout lens on it, so we know maybe who's more influential, who to retweet. Because what, especially for us, is we have new bands coming in every day. So we don't actually know who's an important person in that community, who's not. So I was just seeing if there was tools out there that, that you guys use or what type of techniques to identify who to help continue that conversation for you. Yeah, we use Crowdbooster, which gives you really good analytics and it tells you your most influential followers and who's new that's followed you and so we always keep an eye on that i think it's almost more like just watching things a little more organic how, than that yeah how it evolves i think you should take a minute and congratulate brian for actually keeping all those people in the room for this <laughs> ryan look brian walked in oh look at this room look at your community right there 
What a moment. <laughs> Anybody have any tools out there? What, what do you got? Okay. Curious what you guys think about the Bjork Biophilia app and integrating community involvement with like an actual piece of content. We've spoken a lot about like after the fact, but I'm curious. I'm going to throw that to you, Nate, or not. I, I think it's great. Depending on, it always depends on the artist. If the artist can stomach giving, empowering their fans to, to mess with their art, then that's really something special. Creating with their fans is, is always a great story. And you have to do it in a way that's on brand for you and your fans. And sometimes it's great to, to do that with other communities too. So you can bring these people in. It's a good way to create more fans too. I'll bring up a horrible example. The Justin Bieber record, I, I, someone had put it up on the wall for me, but when you open it up, it's got all the pictures of his fans that sent in pictures, and I, there must be a couple hundred thousand photos that make up Justin Bieber's face, but thinking, if you're a fan and you go buy that record, I don't think there's a better, I mean, that really connects you to that. That's all I'll say about Justin Bieber. Um, <laughs> You have to shout it or they're going to bring you a mic. Just answering your question about another tool to identify powerful, Mm -hmm. who has a lot of followers in your community, or the most famous people in your community is Newsy, N-E-W-S-I-E. It comes right to your email and says, these are your most famous friends on your list. I think going on that, too, you don't always necessarily want to engage with the most influential people I mean when you retweet a fan it makes their day and other people see that too so then it'll just organically build yeah I was gonna say there's something we learned that I I, I found fascinating when we first started building community I was actually a little nervous about it because here we are we're gonna build a community where everybody can you know if they have any complaints it's gonna be in a public (laughs) forum and what we learned is it's actually the exact opposite. If if you interact with those people that are the angriest, those people that are the, and, and you, you do it in a direct way, it, it, it shines a light on it and actually can be turned into something very positive. So I think t- to your point about not necessarily dealing with the most influential part of people, I think sometimes you want to pick people that are really the most upset. You want to show you care. You want to deal with their problems. You want to take care of it. And I, I actually find that so I, sometimes I, I almost feel like it's the substance of their content that drives how you interact with the community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've told this story a couple times, but when the Roxy was just online, someone had tweeted out about a gin and tonic, and, and I've told the story, so I'll try to tell it as fast as I can, but I searched through the club to try to find that person who had tweeted about their, their, their gin and tonic, and I found this, there was about 500 people in the club, and I found a girl with her head down in her Blackberry in an empty glass. And so I went and got a, an extra strong gin and tonic. I tapped her on the shoulder. I said, do you just tweet about the Roxy? And she was horrified, because I think most of us don't realize that people read our tweets. But she then turned around and tweeted out, oh my God, the Roxy had made it right, where it's just a a moment earlier, she had just totally dogged the Roxy. And those type of moments for community building have been so important for what we're doing up on, you know, the Roxy's going to be 40 in September, and it has a lot of history. There's a lot of stories there. There's a lot of foundation. And to break those things, good or bad, 
you you have to do things in real time and 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 change the conversation so i think just to your point it's it is looking for those people that might have problems because they're not the passive ones the passive ones they're okay you're not going to change them they're kind of happy did you i you want to say something yeah no i would just say i I had i I was uh, i worked at sound exchange prior to uh joined the management company full-time and we had the same thing so people had questions about their their statements and complaints about whatever it was it was really great you could see the dialogue kind of change and I think ultimately the perception of the organization overall by being responsive to people on various platforms whether it was on uh, you know it was on Facebook it was on Twitter that was really probably the biggest one and then and then also on other blogs too so Chris Hewer, I saw you trying to raise your hand over there well, you're you're one of the smartest guys in the room, so please. Uh... No, no, I, I was just I was just gonna say one of the uh, good tool that I found with the worst name ever is uh, Social Bro. If you mm-hmm. haven't looked at it as the uh, Chrome plugin, you're my Social Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, just another tool. Are there any artists in the room? Any one artist in all this? Two, three. Okay, okay. Four. Someone, someone over there. They're gonna bring you a mic. No, it doesn't matter. You could be shouting right now. They bring you a mic. So I'm a. I actually didn't know this was going on. I was driving up on a promo tour up to Canada, and my friend in the music industry was like, "You got to come check out this uh, this summit." But I have an interesting spot where I'm a business owner as well as as well as a promotions manager as well as an artist. And the problem that I find with social media and fans is trying to control everything all at once. You know, you got to. Especially, like, Twitter does a good job of flipping from page to page or, or account to account. But, like, say, Instagram, you have to log out, log in, log out, log in. And I've found what's needed is, like, a, a dashboard, basically, to control all your streams with a community base, with you can, uh, you know, uprate and downrate, like, consequence. You know, all these sites, they don't have consequence. So you, how, how are you supposed to tell what's really being liked and what's disliked? So um, I, I don't mean to advertise my own thing, but I've, as a musician, I've designed a new uh, social media platform that is dropping, like, we're coming out with the, the launch date, we're doing beta testing right now, but we've got um, Excision, Datsic, Metric, Arcade Fire, like we got the indie scene, the electronic scene, we're starting from the bottom and going up from there. And what you said about, you know, going to the, the people maybe that aren't influential, that's huge important. Because, like, you know, Datsik, he was 17 when I knew him, and he was just another guy DJing, right? All of a sudden, boom, same with Excision, same with Skrillex. So I gave Sonny Moore's first ride into Shambhala, which is this festival that I work for in Canada. But those, one, those people that are, le- like, the least influential people could be the next big thing. And you, have to, you can't be that diva star that, you know, doesn't answer that Twitter post because yep. it's not an influential person. You have to, you know, you have to be community-based. And I think a lot of artists miss that. So moving to, we're talking a lot about online. What kind of offline things do we see happening with community? Um, besides the super fan experience, what what are other ways to kind of support the community offline? Yep. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think at the live show, you have to engage them somehow, whether it be... I mean, it all kind of goes back to online, though. How I saw I saw Taylor Swift. I saw this thing where... Have you seen what she does? Where she goes into the crowd and she shakes... Like everyone, she does a song in the crowd, and she goes and shakes every like 
everyone on the aisles shakes everyone's hand i just don't see enough of that i think sometimes we look at social and we think that we're in their pocket we're in their stream but sometimes it, it's gonna I, I i personally think it's going to take more than that i think it's going to take that 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 touching well i'll tell you i um it's something I do, and I think I, I encourage everybody in our company to do, and we actually pay for it, is whenever anybody's traveling, we ask them to go see one of our bands. And, I mean, and I, you know, at first I thought, oh, it's kind of sucks. I don't want to do that. But I actually have had some of the best experiences ever going out and meeting some of our bands and hanging out with them. Sometimes I stay out a little too late. But I mean, I'm telling you, it's been amazing. And, and and the thing is, I we never really did it to do kind of to gain favor with the community. I mean, we did it because we wanted to understand who they are. But it actually has turned out really positive, where people will actually tell their fans and their friends about it. And I tell you, I don't know if any of you know Lou Playa, who works with us in, in New York, but Lou probably goes to see 300 shows a year. <laughs> 300 shows a year and, and, and I'll tell you it's it's been huge and I know it's a lot of work and you can't touch everybody but you touch a few people and it, there's a ripple effect that you, I mean really you can feel everywhere uh, Nate I'm just gonna because we talked a little bit about the about the the Tumblr and the Yahoo deal and obviously you're you you watch the conversation from the music point of view how do you deal with you know I think there there's been a lot of conversation, good and bad. Um, how, how do you how do you deal with that when when something like that goes down? It's almost like you have this little indie band mm-hmm. that works so hard, everybody loves them, and then and then they get signed by the majors, and then everyone's are like, oh, they you know that not that you sold out or whatever. How how do you manage that conversation? Right. You you explain why it's a good thing, why um, you know as as an indie band, you're like a startup band and you need to worry a lot more about your own venture capital. And when you get signed by a major label, if you're able to do it on the certain terms that you lay out, like like David did with Tumblr, then you are even more so empowered to be contr- to be in control of your of your content because you have you have the capital to do so and you have the infrastructure to grow and you can be bigger internationally and you can get that radio hit. Brian, do you have do, do you have situations like that where where uh, somebody gives me a billion dollars? No, do I don't you have that. that do you have that problem? <laughs> what what problem? Sorry. Do you have that? <laughs> like no, I, you know, I mean like, you know, so we we work with some artists who are I mean obviously we have like the super big artists, but we we also have some 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 younger artists that we're working with who haven't achieved, you know, that level of fame and you know, sort of I think the question is, you know, similar it's like, you know, do they, you know, sell out? Do they do a deal with a, a you know, they do a deal with a, a label and, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's like everybody sort of has their own uh, uh, their own you know sort of threshold that it really makes sense and maybe you do I mean like look at a certain point if somebody writes a big enough check you're gonna take it and and, and sign and you know I've seen some I've certainly seen some deals that like I just could not believe that the label did the deal I was like you're gonna give them how much money it's just like I, it just is amazing to me so and look if you get to that point great you know I you know I, I can't really blame someone for doing that deal you know and that's actually been one of the things I've you know I've had I was having a conversation with uh, uh, I was at this tech startup conference and there was some people and they were like oh well artists shouldn't even do deals with labels I'm like 
so you don't understand. It's like, you know, sometimes there is a compelling enough reason for you to do that. And maybe you have to limit your rights to a certain extent, but, you know, sometimes it just makes sense. But what do you do when the conversation starts to go the wrong way? Or one of your, one of your artists, and I'm, I'm sure this hasn't happened to you, but gets in trouble or... Oh, some... yeah, that never happens. <laughs> how, how do you With know... Little Wayne and T.I., Right. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I think we all want to know how do you deal with, you know, social is, is real time. It's in the moment. It's the conversation that's happening. What happens when your artist is that conversation? Uh, you know, I mean, like, it, you know, well, usually the first call is to the publicist, right? And, you, you know, you talk to the publicist and it's, you know, how are you going to, you know, what are you going to do to manage it? And, you know, a lot of times it's the first thing will come out from the artist. So, like, for instance, uh, a big thing happened. So Little Wayne had... Um, he had a seizure and you know he was on a, he was on a plane the plane had to land and he went to the hospital and then, then there was people reporting about it they were saying oh he's on his deathbed and you know they're reading him his last rites and you know none of that stuff was true and the first thing that we did like the very first official message was from Wayne it said hey everybody I'm okay and thank you so much for your concern. And it was genuine. It was from him. And then so, you know, we took that and, you know, we, we you know, he tweeted it. And, I, you know, I knew what he was tweeting it. And so then we, like, put it up immediately on Facebook. And then we sent that message to the media outlets. So, you know, especially you have to be genuine. You have to be honest. You know, it's hard to lie to people. I think you, you, know. got, you have to inoculate against the real problem. I mean, I think that's like, so this is a great example, I think, for, for you guys, is that what is the real fear here? Is the real fear that they sold or they're going to sell? No. The real fear is that the acquirer will change them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and this, is, this mm-hmm. is the truth. This is true when a band gets signed to a major label. Yep. This is true when, 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 when a smaller company gets acquired. And, and, and I think the thing that people make the mistake of is they, they, they don't diagnose the problem. They don't understand what people are really fearful of. So I think the first thing you have to do is understand what people are worried about. And then address that. I think in their case, though, that is a community. Tumblr is, it's a platform, but I think it's out of all the platforms, it's the most kind of community. I mean, when you say Facebook, I don't think community. If you said Twitter, I don't think community. If you said Tumblr to me, I would, I know my friends that are on Tumblr. They're, they're, they're similar and they like similar things that are crazy. <laughs> But you know what I mean? I think yeah, that that's totally. where that comes from, too, is that it's almost more than just a business. It's well, like this is their this is what they've been a part of. And is it going to change what who they are? And what last they do? year. Sure. Yeah. Last year, we were nominated for a Teen Choice Award for best website. And there were kids on Tumblr who found out about it. And they started posting all over the place to tell people to vote for anything else except for Tumblr because they didn't want people to find out right. that Tumblr was so great. Hipsters. <laughs> Teenagers. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. We are in question time of the panel, so anyone, if you have questions, think about that. I want to, go back, I want to go back to what you were asking about offline mm-hmm. type of things. And to me, the blueprint is somebody like a Chuck D, you know, from Public Enemy. And... The experience that I've seen him do over the past 25 years is that he didn't separate himself from the small guy from the big guy. If he came to town and he went on a big station like a KMEO, he was also on the college stations, mm-hmm. you know, and people felt empowered. And the, the payoff of that is that people tell that story over and over, like, hey, this big guy came to our small station. This big guy showed up at our concert. This big guy 
did these types of things. And I think that sometimes gets underestimated when you have that sort of uh, stardom, mm -hmm. that you know these little uh, uh, small gestures, which I think are very genuine, because I think he's a real people person, uh, go a long way. People are 20 years later talking about, he came to my college station. I contrast him with some of the bigger artists, and it's like all this velvet rope type stuff, like he can only do an hour, you know, not an hour if you get that, but you know, there, there's a lot of mm -hmm. uh, priority. He'll do entertainment tonight, he'll do this, this, that, and the third, and maybe, you know, we'll send you a wink and a nod, but it's never really the type of thing that I think makes people feel that you're accessible. I mean, being online has changed that dynamic a little bit that, you know, because you feel like you can tweet and you can talk to folks, but I think you still have to do those small things. And I think for anybody who's in a public position, including any of us that are doing uh, 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 social media, because we're public entities ourselves, we have to show up to some of these things. We need to go to somebody's rally. We need to support their book signing. We need to actually listen to their album if they send it to us. Those types of things and move away from the, uh, uh, the comfort of being on the receiving end and never giving back. And giving back really means uh, being able to give people honest feedback, like I really listen to your stuff. Better yet, I didn't, I didn't just listen, I actually bought it. I went to the store myself and paid the $10. And, you know, was able to really engage you in a different way. And I see people do that. Now, and I'll give one last example of people I think that do this very well. That's hieroglyphics and living legends. You know, these are guys that will stay to the middle of the night signing everybody's autograph, or get them merchandise, do this type of thing. And you get a million stories with people feeling that they're special. And then sometimes they do special things like Hyro did a Hyro Day in Oakland, and that was the biggest festival that the entire city had. And people are still talking about how dynamic it was, and they're already planning another one, but they've involved. Yeah, they, they've already involved the community on so many levels, and I think that that is something that can't be discounted, that personal touch. Thank you. I mean, that's some of the best stuff I heard today, so thank you. And that goes a little bit to what your point was. It, it's not about a tool that's going to tell you the most important person on there. It's the one that, as an artist or someone that manages that, 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 that feels right. Mm -hmm. Chris. Mike. Sorry. Well, I, I think really very important, the reciprocity element is so important for people who give to us to give back, or more importantly, to um, be a friend before you get to earn being a friend, I think is very true. But what we also forget in all this is that they're human. I mean, how many people out here know a germaphobe, right? Can't shake hands, can't do anything like that. Other people are just uncomfortable in their own artistry because in the process of creation, their creations are fragile. E even when it's a platinum selling hit, it's still fragile in the minds of some people. So we have to actually take into account that some people just aren't as social. And, and that's okay too. But I, I just think we have to look at it from both sides. I mean, I'm a huge proponent, obviously, of social media and what it means to engagement. But how, um, but we how do we how do how do we do that things. though? Because we're trained every day, we're rewarded, we're, we're our behavior for for the one that's most social. So how do we find our ways to accept that an artist that's not as social? Because I'm sure there's artists here or, or at this at this event that that that. Well, I think it starts with the same thing you said before, the honesty element of it. I mean, to be upfront about it, to be like, 
you know, I'm, I'm just not as comfortable in crowds. Or I, I, I don't do this to let others maybe even speak on behalf of that. Like, look, he's not trying to be rude. He's just got his thing. And that's his artist thing. Yeah. And, you know, people will either accept it or they won't. And they'll continue to be fans or they won't. But we look, we want to be more social. That's the thing. We want access. So we get as much as we can from people who are, I mean, you know, look, the whole Arrington thing, right? Say what you want about him and everything else. But the main thing that he had was that he had these people pawing at him. He had people spitting on him at conferences. I mean, like, you go under that for a couple of years, and then you try to be nice to everyone. I mean, it's tough. It's really tough. And I just think we have to respect the other side, too. You know, and, and I'll just throw the other thing out there, too, is that, you know, and look, and I respect that, and it's, it's great when people have the opportunity to do that, but sometimes, you know, the demands on, uh, you know, especially, especially some of these really big artists, the demands on their time are just absolutely insane. I mean, like, you know, they get into a city, and, you know, they've got a show that night, and they're literally in town for 13 hours. So the amount of time that they have has, you know, has got to be, you know, is like, it's like down to like the, you know, like, five and ten minute you know uh uh, five and ten minute mark and it can be really challenging and so it's like you know do you go do entertainment tonight or do you do a local college radio station i'm not saying but 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 no 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 no, no, but you how do you how do you do that when you've got a tool you've got you know 15 trucks outside (laughs) you know what i mean you can't it's just like not possible i think chuck does that now i'm not sure in his in his moment of of that day when he was the most successful, that he was able to parcel up that time like that? He did? did. Absolutely. You know, if you ask people in the Bay Area here, at the height of public enemy, they would show up and they would go everywhere. If you go to KVSU in Stanford, they would drive down and they would do that and uh, and show up. And I talked to Chuck. We talked to Chuck a long time. He said, you know, part of the deal is is that this is a a constant engagement. And so if they have to stay, stay an extra day, they'll do the extra day, trucks or not. And so, yeah, they're big artists, but they were big artists, too, doing that very same thing. And you, and you see others, you know, that will do that. It's your job. It's, it's, it, as somebody who's a radio person, it's my job when I'm in a public figure, as a public figure, to take time for those who listen and tune in. That's my job. That's, I, I'm not flipping burgers at McDonald's. You know, no. I'm not pumping your gas. I'm in the business of engaging people. I don't know if that's the case. I don't yeah. know if that's the case. I mean, I, 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 you know, it, you know, going back to the gentleman in the back, you know, so, some artists, they, they really are not comfortable with doing that. They're not yeah. comfortable engaging with people like that. They're, they just aren't comfortable. I mean, they're, 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 you know, I mean, they go into the studio and they can maybe pour their heart out in the studio on a microphone, but they don't have this, they don't it's have the same level of comfort. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. I get that. But most of those artists, a lot of them, you do see them. I know I've seen them when they come into the station. I see them, they'll smoke a joint with everybody at the station. They'll have a drink. They'll go to the strip club and carry on there. So they can be social people. It's just a, it's just a thing of what's their... Count me in. <laughs> well, let's keep it real. Let's keep it real. I mean, you know, so we can tell a dozen stories about a lot of big artists if we've, if we've seen them behind the scenes. So people can be social. It's just a question of what your priority is. And a lot of times, uh, there, there's a level of people including management and whatever that have made that priority. Like you'll go to KML and fuck the other stations. You know, I've seen that said. I've seen that said, and and so let me just finish one mm -hmm. point. So what you have now is you got lots of people who genuinely are fans of those folks. And if you do this whole VIP thing, like, you know, I'm gonna put the rope in just this 
uh, small group of people get to show up and the rest of y'all just got to watch and look from the sideline, then I think at the end of the day, you don't get as much of an impact as you possibly can. And I think you just have to change that. If you talk, you, he talked about relationships and evolving. So if we're talking about evolving, if I'm in a relationship, then I got to change. If my partner needs something a little bit more, a little bit more attention, I, she don't care how busy I am. I got to find the time. That's my job as a husband. That's my job as a boyfriend. That's your job as an artisan and people that surround them. That's a mutual commitment. Wait, wait, guys, 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 it's two minutes. I'm out of beer. So let's go easy. You know, I feel like this is like you guys are arguing. It's like this is like an argument about religion. I mean, I don't, I don't actually know there's a right answer. Here's what I would say. I tell my kids this. I was like, you know, the people that are the coolest in the whole world, whole world, and you can ask yourself that all the cool people you know, they're the people who are the truest to themselves. And the people that are the uncoolest are the people that try and be something they're not. Period. And all I'm saying, and all I was saying in all of this, is that I, you just need to continue to stay true. If you don't have time, don't have time. If you don't like people, don't like people. But consistently don't like people. Don't try and like people. Don't do Tiger Woods where you tip your hat and have a fake smile. you got to be like Phil. Walk around. Shake everybody's hands. Or just hate everybody. I don't care. But just be the same. And I think that's that's what it is, and I, you know. So we can talk about what the right answer. I don't know there is a right answer. You know, we have all these new tools. We have social. We have all these different ways. We have too many ways to talk to each other. But you know, we just got to use them, sort of, you know, with kind of good grace and, and try and yeah. try and stay focused. I think that's that's a good place can to. I get a, can I get another? Yeah, you can get another <laughs> beer after that. <laughs> I, I think, and to that, all communities start with two people. So you know, I mean, you have to. You have to start small, continue to grow it from there. Again, I go back to what Brian's done here. He brings people that he likes. He, he brings people that support others. And that's why we're seeing success in this room. And that's why we're about to walk into another room that's even more crowded is because you surround your, yourself with people that you love. And I think that's it. Have a beer. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>